Hallelujah. How many of you are excited to learn more and more about how to hear the still small voice? I am excited to know how to tune in and hear God's voice even better. And the things that distract and the things that hinder me from hearing God's voice are stuff I don't want to tolerate. Anybody else agree with that? Um, it, it doesn't matter when things are going great, but when things are going bad, you really want to hear what God is saying, don't you? And, um, and it's in those moments you realize you're either sadly unprepared or you, you just thank God that you were doing what was necessary prior to that moment to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. It's too late to fast and pray to hear God's voice when all hell is breaking loose right now. Sometimes you got to prep before the battle, before the battle hits. And, uh, and that's just necessary. We do that in normal things in life, right? You know, financial crisis. It's too late to save up money now. Should have been saving up before. You know, planning ahead. And we're smart enough in this room. You know, turn and tell somebody, you're smart enough. You're smart enough. You are. You are smart enough to prepare to hear the voice of the Lord. And I am convinced, every one of us, remember from the message two weeks ago, 7,000, a remnant who were intended by God to hear His voice. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You could be one of those little receivers hearing God's voice. Now, today I'm going to talk about some stuff that I'm going to have to rate this PG-13 just in case I say words that are inappropriate in a church. Um, None of them are obscene, but they're ones we don't normally use in church. So I need you to give me mental permission to talk about things that most pastors won't talk about. Um, This is not wrong. The church talks about this stuff. I'm going to talk about violence and immorality. When I say violence and immorality, those are the most sanitized words I can choose so that even the youngest of hearts isn't offended. But if I say porn then suddenly goes, "Mm, I feel uncomfortable using the P word in church. Well, it's being used all over the place. We need to talk about it in church. Um, When I talk about violence, there are so many chameleon words that are covered under that one little word, violence. So I might address something that offends us. It's okay, because I'm going to want to talk about those injustices, those wrongs that come against... um, God's image in us, anything that does violence or hurts or disrespects what God's standard is or his sense of right and wrong is violence. And that injustice stirs anger. Anger isn't violence. There's a distinction there. So sometimes we talk about things in church that we go, well, I don't know if we should be talking about that. We better talk about it. Where else are we going to talk about it? I mean, we need to know what God says about this stuff. But here's the real reason why we need to talk about immorality and violence. These are the two things, in my opinion, that are the most systemic to hindering us from hearing the voice of the Lord. We think if we're not doing one of the cardinal things under those two banners of violence and immorality, that we're somehow immune. Let me just break this uh, myth down. None of us in this room are immune to the consequences of violence and immorality in our world. Every single one of us has to do something in response to it. You are not isolated from this world. You're in this world. 
You're not of it, but you're in this world, which means you have to be proactive in these two categories. Now, I'll be very candid with you. Younger generations, this is even more important that you and I talk about this. This is not the time to consult peers. This is the time to consult those who have gone before and to consult Scripture. Because if we're only talking to a closed circle, then we're limiting ourselves from any outside or objective perspective. If we do that, you're myopic, you're going to struggle, you're going you're to be destroyed, and you're going to think you're doing everything right. You just haven't had good information. So the best source of information is the voice of God right here. It's not my voice, it's the voice of God. I'm just a mouthpiece. If I say something wrong today, blame the mouthpiece. Don't blame God. Amen? <clears throat> so, I titled this message this. Um, Hearing the voice of God. Is immorality and violence too loud? Is immorality and violence too loud? All of us in this room know what it's like to have a conversation with someone or try to have a conversation with someone in an environment where it's just too loud to talk right? Um, or in an environment where there are just too many influential stimuli. Hey, 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 look, stop getting distracted. Hey, hey. And it's so difficult. It's just frustrating. At those moments, you just go, I, I give up. I, I don't even want to talk with you. It's, it can be irritating as a dad or a friend, um, any one of those things. It's just, it just can be irritating. So this title of can I hear God's voice or is immorality and violence too loud? My gut says it's loud. It's loud. And so we've got to do something about it. Malcolm Muggeridge said this. This is a beautiful quote, and I figured I needed to share this and kicking this off. He said that every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us, and the art of life is to get the message. I pray that we get the message today from every little thing that's been going on in our lives because God is speaking through the circumstances of our life right now. And if you've not been alert to what's been going on and going to be honest, you're going to have a problem dealing with violence and immorality in your life. The reason why I'm using this quote is because one of the happenings that was maybe small in your world because it wasn't your family member or it didn't happen in your city or right in front of your house was something that came across um, my, uh, my news feed and it was about a 49-year-old lady in Milwaukee. January 15th this last month, you might have heard, some of you probably have, but Jolene Waldreff, 49 years old, hit her head while walking because her car was broke she had to take the bus, and she was walking, and she slipped on the ice, hit her head, continued on to the bus stop where she was experiencing more and more issues, slipped again, fell, struggled, was sitting in the snowbank, began to really feel dizzy, sick. No one stopped to help. She tried to call the police. Her phone was not connecting, and she froze to death. Surveillance cameras, as they looked at it, they watched multiple, because it was one of the busy intersections there in Milwaukee, they watched multiple cars go by, more than you could count. They watched multiple pedestrians go by, zero of them helped. One guy came so close because there were other people, he had to step over her body to go past her. It wasn't until one lady 
And this was almost before supper, like 5.40 or whatever. And this lady, what is her name? Charlotte Morris. Sweet black lady. She sees the girl. She's, she's like, what's going on? It's too late. She calls 911. Everybody shows up. She's dead. Hypothermia now. That night, Charlotte Morris was interviewed, and she says, I was crying because I was thinking, why didn't anybody stop? Why didn't anybody stop? It was two degrees, negative 20 degrees on the 15th, wind chill. This lady worked in a, a beautiful organization helping people. Everyone there, she just lost her husband six months before that, who was um, special needs. She took care of him. She was a joy at work. Everybody who knew her loved her. She wouldn't have hurt a soul. She was the nicest person, most people say. She has two teenage kids that are surviving. They have a GoFundMe that's trying to raise funds for her. But at the core of this story, something inside of me is just repulsed. Because we are human beings. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't somebody stop? It's unbelievable. Psychologists call this, this has started in the late 60s, they call this the bystander, what is it, what is it? The bystander effect. When there's a sense of multiple individuals in an environment or perceiving something happened, some bad thing is happening, or some angry thing is going on, or a conflict or something, if there's a perception that there's tons of people there, it lessens the individual sense of responsibility. And so people feel like, well, someone's going to do something. Not me. Someone's going to do something. They're going to do something. Someone else is going to do something. And then nobody does anything. It's unbelievable to me that even officials won't step in and intervene sometimes when there's crises and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I look at this and I think, maybe it's really not just the bystander effect that's at play here. I believe there is something else that's at play. Because at the core of the problem that I am faced with when I hear stories like this or see this is, why aren't we more human? Why aren't we more compassionate? Why aren't we caring? Why doesn't someone put self and self-preservation aside and actually love someone they don't know, a stranger? Why don't we do that? And I can have one answer from the Bible. I, I could come up with my own, and I could be way off or right on, but I'll tell you, let's just stick to Scripture. Scripture says this, that in a culture of prolific violence and immorality, the side effects are profound, and they make us less of what God's intentions are, which is we're less human. We're less like God, and the result is there's people like this 49-year-old that will freeze to death in a busy place with lots of people that could have helped. Wow. I think the reason why violence and immorality is so loud in our culture is because of what is described in Scripture as terrible times where people love pleasure more than God. And I want to switch out the word pleasure for another more familiar word that is synonymous with pleasure, and that's entertainment. Entertainment is the, the, it's the sanitized version of looking for things that are joyful and, and pleasurable and sometimes just amoral. They're not evil in and of themselves. 
I mean, I love sports. I love diversion that's healthy. I love all kinds of things that are classified as entertainment. And if you look at them one at a time, they're very, very good, right? But in this pursuit of things that comfort and divert my attention from things that maybe are painful to acknowledge, I'm looking for an escape maybe, and a movie suits me. And I'm looking for this entertainment. And in this culture of entertainment, the stuff that is transmitted through the conduit of entertainment have two major qualities, immorality and violence. The two major qualities, immorality and violence. Wow, so much so that we're all very familiar with G, PG, PG PG-13, R, uh, what's the next one, MA something something, and then, I mean, and then the double triples of consonants. And it's just evil. It's evil out there. And now, it's totally different from when I was young and experiencing these conduits delivering immorality and violence. When I was young, I mean, you had to be in print or you had to be in front of the tube right when it was showing or you had to have access to a VCR player that could record it for later playback. And, you know, nowadays, you bring a TV with you everywhere you go that streams as much content as you want all the time. And it's not just that. There's so many other forms of entertainment. And all of them have this undertone that it's transmitting immorality and violence. Wow. Is it terrible times? I don't know. I want to look at facing the real consequences that come from violence and immorality. And I listed them all quickly right in front of us because for the next about 15 minutes, I'm going to be talking about various things that feed each of these bullet points. And these are what the Bible, but also I I kind of curated these so that they wouldn't be just isolated to Scripture, but it would be also backed up with research. And in a lot of instances, the research that brings these bullet points to bear aren't even religious in nature. They're secular psychologists and scientific processes that come up with, oh, this is what's happening. So if you go, well, let's not just take the Bible's word for it. Let's look at what the officials, the experts say, because that's so popular today. Let's appeal to the experts. The The experts and the Bible both meet on each of these points. And so let's just look at these real quick. I'm going to read them. The first real consequence is what I'm calling past feeling desensitized. You could see that in the story I just conveyed about the 49-year-old. People just past feeling desensitized. The next thing is mental health issues, the presence of anxiety, depression, loneliness, and poor self-esteem, which these things are escalating in levels so fast that it's overwhelming healthcare professionals. They don't know how to deal with the overflow of this. So, Counselors, friends of mine who are counselors, are actually needing counseling for this because they're counseling so much of this. It's unbelievable. Um, Poor relationships. When I say poor relationships, I'm not talking about the, the simulation of a relationship. I'm talking about soft skills that in the professional world, they're saying what we're having a problem with is soft skills. People who have skin and a heartbeat don't know how to talk in person to another person with skin and a heartbeat. They don't know. They don't know how to read subtext. They don't know how to, you know, imply things and know culturally several and be nice and welcoming and 
empathize with others. You, they just don't know it anymore. And I'm thinking, that's so true. That is so true. I just, I've experienced it, and you've probably experienced it too. But it always is really with someone else. It's never with me. And, uh, you know, and so poor relationships. And I believe from the Bible's perspective, it's two ways. It's relationships laterally like this with other individuals, but it's also our relationship with God. The consequence with immorality and violence doesn't just affect the other people in our life, it affects us and God. Um, the last two, becoming fools. Our brains get distorted and we now, this, this is bizarre. So the, um, uh, whatever it's called, I can't remember the word right now, but the neuroplasticity of our brain, that might be the word actually, um, where your brain can reinvent the connections and the pathways to process things. And this is a beautiful aspect of how God made each and every one of us. It means that you can get smarter and learn new traits. So if you're sitting next to an old dog, just tell that old dog, see, you can learn. <laughs> Neuroplasticity. <laughs> I, I'm trying to ignore who just looked at whoever. <laughs> this is just awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but with violence and immorality, it is amazing how it's like I referenced last week, the frog in the kettle of water. Our brains have been slowly warmed up to a rewiring that has made us fools. So in the non-religious world, we are broken mentally. In the spiritual world, we are foolish and we have distorted the very words of God. So now we live in a culture where it's no longer uncommon for those who speak the words of God, they distort it and they're speaking pro-violence, pro-immorality from the pulpit because their brains are broken. And then the last one is self-destruction, which is the most bizarre quality about all of this. In the name of <laughs> immorality and violence... It's like we're, we're proponents of all these things and the PR campaign is it's going to be bigger, better, more awesomer. The reality is you're going to die. <laughs> little by little. A thousand paper cuts and then you're gone. And, it's, and we're miserable. And we're doing it to ourselves, which is bizarre. So these are the things that I believe are the real consequences of immorality and violence. Now, if you haven't drawn the, con the, the connection to hearing the voice of the Lord, go back to our poor relationship. And, and, and the reason this is so important is because when we're in this environment, it is so loud. Your mental health issues are so loud, you can't hear the voice of God. Come on, this is so true. I have tons of people that I have talked to over the years who they won't come to God because of anger, depression, self-esteem issues. They're not worthy to come to the Lord. I'm like, you don't have to get clean to get a bath. Amen. Come on, I just come to God. He accepts you as you are. I think Billy Graham and his campaign would often sing that song, just come as you are. And, and I was like, man, just as I am. Without a, one plea, I have no hope. But you could always go to the Lord because, you know, your mental health issues were not loud enough. Now they are so loud, people have social anxieties. I can't come to a church because I'm anxious. Wow, that's that loud? You can't come to the congregation and obey what Hebrews says? Don't forsake getting together? Well, you don't understand my mental health issues. Wow. Um, 
These things are so loud, we can't hear God. That self-destruction, when you get in the sin-shame cycle that starts to spiral down and you feel helpless and out of control and you hear a preacher who says, you just have to come to the Lord, the most often response you get is, screw you. I can't do anything to help me. I'm powerless. You don't get it. What, what is going on right there is this. You're in a self-destruction mode that is so loud, you can't hear the rescue squad right in front of you saying, surrender. And you're making it too hard in your mind. You're going, well, you're just going to tell me i got to do ten more things to get healthy. No, you have to fall apart. That's what you got to do. And you got to stop justifying. Just fall apart. Break. Repent. And, and, but that self-destruction cycle is so loud, we're not hearing it. This is why you hear a generation that says, I don't like God and religion because he just judges me. Bull crap. God is not judging you. Your conscience is. So this is just so crazy. I'm sorry to say it like this, but it is just, this is where the rubber meets the road for Christianity, though. This is why so many people are struggling to know what God is saying. Because they're dealing with these things and it's so loud. So let me, let me shift from just preaching. And let's, let me go dive a little bit deeper into some of these things. Um, oh, man. I was um, prepping for this and I was like, okay, Lord, tell me, how can we talk about this status quo? And, and the first thing that my mind went to was the level of violence that is comparable to the time of the deluge, the flood, the flood. Man, in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 and 13, God said prior to bringing the flood onto the earth, He said, the earth is full of violence. The earth is full of violence. And that violence was an injustice to God. It was an infraction. Um, humanity was encroaching upon God's uh, prerogative to be God and set the standards for right and wrong and what is healthy and what is not healthy and all of these things. But the humanity grew to such a place where they were basically giving God the bird saying, we get to determine what is right and wrong for ourselves. That's a violence towards God. If I were to come into your household as you're the dad and tell you what you can and can't do on your own turf or use your property for my own selfish means, you would say, I'm doing violence to you. We're on God's property. We're on His planet. We have His borrowed time that He's given us. And we're the ones telling Him what is right and wrong. And what can be done and what can't be done. He calls that violence. And then break that down. And then when one person goes and dishonors the image of God in someone else, like disrespecting their life or their uh, value or any of those things, then that's violence done to another person. So we have this golden rule of what is done to me is what I need to be doing to you. I need to love me and love you on equal terms. I've got to love God just like God's loving me. This brings a justice and a balance to the world. Right now, justice has been thrown out. Violence is everywhere. And people are claiming all kinds of reasons for this injustice. My skin color, my, my ethnicity in this, or what I have done, or what I have not done, or this is my state in life, or this is my social standing, or it, all that's baloney. It's coming from somewhere else. And um, so violence 
injury that is done, ah, oh, it's everywhere. And violence has now become an entertainment. In fact, one global health organization said that entertainment as violence is a global pandemic that every nation right now has to do something drastic about. Because as the majority of every population has made entertainment and violence synonymous. This is kind of frightening if you think about it. Another report that I read about the Surgeon General Scientific Advisory Committee on Television and Social Behavior, which was founded in the late 60s, this is what they said about the attitudes, values, and behaviors. They said, right now, kids, their parents, their grandparents, Everyone has grown far less sensitive to the pain of others and the suffering of others. It's a pandemic, and we don't even know it. It said right now that children, their parents, and their grandparents are suffering more, and this is what it's described as. There is an increasing sense of fearfulness towards the world around them. There's a fear that's growing and gripping the heart of the majority of people on the planet right now about the world in which they live. Um, part of the reason for this is what the Bible would describe as lasciviousness, which is a fancy word for license to sin. That's the way I'm going to say it. I've heard of 007, license to kill. You know, I'm smiling because I like entertainment and violence sometimes, and I need to repent. I'm, I'm going to be on the altar right here with maybe one of you. And... Uh, you know, it's just, it's just part of the culture. I've, I have drank the Kool-Aid, and I love action movies, and I think the Lord is dealing with me. Um, I can't watch porn because that's dirty for pastors to do. But violence? Ah, I'm up for shooting bad guys. Yeah. Amen. And uh, <laughs> this, is, this is what everyone's like, amen, John Wayne would agree with you, pastor. And <laughs> I, I know, I know. But lasciviousness is one of these big words that just means a license to sin or miss the mark. You have a permission that you've given yourself to miss the mark. You justify it. It's okay if I don't hit perfect. I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm entitled to be less than perfect. And in the world of others who are far less perfect than me, I'm just going to be this version of perfect. Oh. The Bible, I'm not going to bore you with 30 different scriptures, but let me just paraphrase and move quick. If you want to get these references, they're going to be on the um, live stream or on the podcast. Um, pause for station break. Can we just give a round of thanks and applaud the person who for the last over eight years now has been uploading the podcast every week for Visible Church, Jeff Pagel. So... And if you've never subscribed to that through Apple, uh, you know, iTunes or anything like that, you should. Because right now, all four of us that are subscribed are... <laughs> Sorry, that's, it's painfully true, though, actually. I think, I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> where, where am I? Okay, you're going to get these scripture verses on the podcast once you subscribe. Okay. Anyway, so... Here's some of the things about the license to sin that we can read in Scripture. Here it is. Here it is. Um, so the license to sin comes from a heart issue. It's not anybody else's problem. And that is a painful thing. Mark 7, 21 through 23. Out of the heart is where these issues come. 
um, in Romans chapter 1, specifically going from verse 22 through 29, people who are engrossed in this profess to be wise, but they become fools. Oh, this is, this is what's going on. This is the license to sin is causing this. They are saying, I'm wise, but they're actually becoming more and more of a fool. Um, it also says in Romans 13, 13 and 14, make no provision for your flesh. In other words, what's happening is we have made provision. We've laid little food particles out for the beast inside of us of immorality and uh, violence, and it eats it up and it is growing. You think you can control that beast, but that beast is a thousand pound gorilla by this point. And um, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, um, 6.10, 6.13, these concepts, that your body has never been intended to live immoral. Despite what the world says, your body has a design. It is not to be immoral. In fact, in, uh, chapter, in verses 15 through 18, it says, God desires for one man and one woman to be faithful to each other for life. One man, one woman, the concept of them becoming one flesh is so important, but we have disregarded this and we have done violence to God's image in us and to his design for us. So, yeah, even though in Scripture you can read of polygamous situations, David had multiple wives, Solomon had multiple wives, Abraham multiple wives, the Mormons today, some of them have multiple wives, sister wives, show, um, stuff like that in case you're interested. And... Um, I don't have any sister wives in case you under, if you wanted to know if I have sister wives. I don't. No sister wives. And um, Petray is very happy about that. You don't have any brother husbands, do you? Good. Because that would be bad. Some of you are like, oh, she wouldn't. Hey. And um, <laughs> so, see that. They all like you better than me, honey. This is like, all right. So, um, you know, our bodies were not meant for immorality and violence. Um, it's a part of our sinful nature. That's what Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says. So all of this stuff comes from a sinful nature, not God's nature. And here's another thing that I, I see. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says this, that because of violence and immorality, these evil things, we have become darkened in our understanding and we have been excluded from the life of God. This is, I'm going to kind of leave it on that part and keep moving on. But when we become darkened in our understanding and we become excluded from the life of God, I'm going to tell you, this is why it's so important to deal with this because we're trying to hear the voice of God. But if we have violence and immorality in our lives, we are excluded. Violence and immorality exclude us from hearing God, hearing the life-giving words of God. Where else can we go to find this? If we're excluded from that and our minds are darkened, we're not getting the very lifeblood that we need to give us strength to just continue on. This is why people are despairing and giving up. They're excluded from the very thing that gives them life. God is the source of every joy you could imagine, not Satan. But Satan has made his primary goal to deceive and say, if you do it my way, you're going to get it faster. It'll be better. But he's lying. He's the father of lies. Um, and you know, when I begin to talk about this and I make it as simple as immorality and violence is excluding us from the very life of God and darkness, you realize why the psalmist or why the, the writer of Proverbs 6 
Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, describes violence as something that God hates. This is one of those words that I felt could be a trigger word, which is why I warned you. I'm going to talk about stuff like hate. And let me just be encouraging of this kind of hate. Hate evil. Hate it. With every ounce of your body, hate it. Why? That's called sincere love. When you hate evil, you're actually being loving. Why would you be indifferent to people who are destroying themselves? Why would you be that insensitive? Do you think it was loving for all the cars to pass by that 49-year-old lady freezing to death on that corner? Do you think it was unloving for that bystander who was walking just so close he had to step over her frozen body? You think that was loving? That's the culture we live in. They promote, that's love. Don't get in the business of others. Don't get in my womb. Don't get in my home. Don't get in my classroom. Don't you tell me how to parent. Don't you tell me how to govern my own body. There's so many things that are wrong in this world, but part of the issue is we are not giving ourselves permission to hate evil. We must hate evil. Now, we don't respond with this hating evil with sin. Sin with sin is still sin. So don't address sin, hating it by doing sin. (laughs) It's said the same word over and over again. Hopefully we didn't get lost. It's just as goofy. Um, Let me shift and talk about some other things. Um, Let's talk about the negative specific, negative specific things about the porn industry and that stuff. And here's, here's what we see. When I said earlier that there are mental issues that come, a number of peer-reviewed studies found this link so significant between pornographic material and the consumption of it, whether it's um, occasional all the way to compulsively addictive. Whatever line that is, randomly all the way up to I'm addicted and I can't control it. It basically provides you with an increased health outcome of you will have depression. It's not an option anymore. Once you have that, you're going to have a degree of depression. Why? Because we don't know how to deal with it anymore. Anxiety, you're going to feel it. And your sense of loneliness and isolation is going to skyrocket and you will feel completely isolated from people. And then you're going to have an overall sense of lower satisfaction in life. You will not be happy with your life. Why? Because you've tolerated just a little bit of pornographic or immoral substance in your life. And you might think it's just innocent. It's nothing. It's not even rated R, Ben. I mean, it's just something I see and I just like that. Well, but it's, it's the shallow end of the pool, though, isn't it? And you're starting to digest a steady diet of shallow pornographic material. Pornographic material starts out where it's just distorting the natural God-given standard for what He's designed your body to be used for or to be seen as. And when you just modify that a little, it's the shallow end of the pool, but it trains you to be different. And you grow less and less sensitive. Um, Here's the next thing that we see. This is crazy, but (laughs) when I said self-destruction, in in the porn industry, here's what's so amazing. In fact, uh, this came up when I was talking with uh, one of our counselors that we recommend people to go and uh, have counseling with. They were saying that in 
the tech school here in Green Bay and in the public school format and in families, in church, outside of church, the increase of children. So if I'm a dad with teens and younger, now already they are having sexual dysfunctions at those ages. They no longer are sexually aroused in a natural sense. That's wrong. So, so now... It's amazing to me, pardon me for being a little bit crude here, it's not overly crude, but a virtual image is arousing, but a real person isn't. Something is wrong. Something's wrong. I mean, God created men to be attracted to women. Amen. He really... <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of responses I wanted to say just then, and I didn't. So... I'm filtering. And uh, isn't, that, isn't that amazing though? And, um, and then, <laughs> so here's, here's kind of the growth that I went on this where, you know, if you would ask me 15 years ago, is this issue uh, gender specific? And I would have said, well, definitely, man. Men struggle with this more than women. And at one time, I would have been right. Now, I am no longer right. It is so close to being even keel across the board. Men are just a little bit more uh, um, dealing with this issue than ladies are. It's really sad how it's grown. And, um, but not just that. The, the physical effects that have happened now because of the heightened familiarity with the morality um, and that rewiring of our brains. So now we have an increased reason for medical intervention. The little blue pill, maybe. Or some other thing. Anything, which actually fuels sometimes the biggest lie in the porn industry, which is crazy. And here's a stat that I just heard. Under uh, younger people, so you're talking 25 years old and younger, one in four of them believe that the pornographic culture is the primary source for education on how to have sex and proper standards for sex. One in four. This is so stupid. It... I can't even connect with that. And that was a 2021 study. That wasn't this year. If you ask me, through the pandemic of all that stuff and everybody's closed into their houses, I don't even want to know what everybody was tuning in and watching, and now what their brains are thinking is normal. And I, I, I think it is appalling, even from the, the perspective of, of what now is being sold in our market. Things to... Ah, anyway... So we can't believe the lie, and that's what the porn industry is saying. It's like, we will teach you how to have better sex um, and all of that stuff, and it's a lie. Actually, the exact opposite happens. So because of the porn industry, now, here's what it is. You, if you have any level of porn in your household, and it's in your life, you are twice as likely to be divorced or have a split in your relationship, even if you are happy on all the classic indicators. You have a good job, you have an otherwise good marriage where you're not like angry and you don't have problems in communication with the one factor of just pornographic input. Just that one, you are twice as likely to end in a divorce or no longer in a relationship. If that's the only reason for a young generation to say, well, I don't trust in marriage, you should stop trusting in porn. 
That's what you should stop trusting in. Because if you think that's the pathway to satisfaction, you are, you're buying the lie that says this is the standard. We've got to throw that away. Where is this info coming from? Right out of the pit of hell. And, and I know that younger people are postponing marriage because of a fear of having that lifelong commitment. They want it. They are afraid of it. Why? Porn. <laughs> Why? Violence. Why? We are desensitized and are broken and our brains have become rewired. We believe lies. Oh. <sighs> Let's switch and talk about the twisting of our brain in this way. When it comes to the Bible, I told you how it's amazing to me as a pastor. I mean, here's a secret fear in a pastor's brain. A pastor's brain, I think this is a healthy fear um, because Paul ex explained this fear. He said, after Paul's conversion and he's living for God and he's missionary and he's teaching you know, people how to be moral and teaching them how to follow God, he says, I'm watching myself because if I preach this stuff, but I myself don't walk it out and live it, then I'm going to void the very message of the gospel of grace and that I'm holding on to. That's my saving grace. He goes, if I don't do it myself, then I'm voiding myself. And I, I don't want to do that. I'll tell you, I live with that balance. I'm not ex immune from this world. I have the same subscription as many as you to Prime Video. I got rid of Netflix because Netflix is of the devil in my opinion right now. I can't do it anymore. But Prime, I'm okay with that poison. I can, I can take that a little bit. And I, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm going to be Amish next month and just get rid of everything and cut all cords to all digital everything. I think my, I, I, this is the trajectory I'm going. I'm going, I, I don't know how to abstain. The Bible says, cut off my hand, cut out my eye. Do all, I, said, I, I, I kind of like my eye because I can see my wife. Um, but, but what do you do? And... So there's this fear that creeps up in the heart of a minister that says, God, I don't want to preach something that I myself don't surrender to and live. That scares me, guys. Um, I'm not blind to the temptations. I, I just go, he needs to work in my life. And, uh, and I thank God that he is. But if you are not afraid in a healthy sense, you have a self, you have this sense of, Security, it's a false sense of security. You need to get afraid in a healthy sense because you have no guarantee to live however you want and still get into heaven. Lasciviousness, the license to sin, is one of those things specifically labeled by Paul that says you will have no inheritance in heaven if you think you have a license to sin. There is no blood that Jesus shed on the cross that will cover your willful ignorance of this one truth. You've got to submit your life to Jesus Christ. And, and I'm telling you, this is a pain. And so um, when I look at this twisting of even the church culture, here's what we see. And this comes out of Covenant Eyes and a specific article by Luke Gilkerson. And he explains, he wrote a book called Your Brain on Porn. Your Brain on Porn. And he said, this is what we see. The gospel says one thing. It says or the gospel says, this is my body, which was given for you. This is what Jesus said. Porn says this, the porn culture says, this is her body given to me. That's what it says, and it twists it. The gospel says, your life 
is hidden in Christ. One of my favorite scriptures in Colossians 3. Your life is hidden in Christ, in God. The porn culture, he says this, your life is found in your hidden adventures and secret pleasures. That's what the world says. The gospel says, treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and in all relationships have purity. That's what the gospel teaches. But our culture teaches this message and it's twisting our brain. Treat older women as cougars and younger women as barely legal. And we think it's not filtered into the church. I've had to tell people to leave my church because they are not here for Jesus, they're here for a girl. I've had to tell people, you don't love Jesus, you love, and then I list along other things, and I'm like, you're doing violence to the very purpose of what a church is for. If you're here to network for your business, get out of this church. If you're here to just hook up with somebody, get out of this church. you got to hook up with Jesus before you hook up with anybody else. It's just the way it is. And I don't care about building your business. I want to build your spiritual life first. Then God will prosper your business. But people go to churches all the time. For all kinds of ungodly reasons. And they are given license to because people from pulpits have a twisted brain also. And they're preaching it. It's just thinking so sad. Luke Gilkerson concludes his book and he makes this statement I want to share it with you. He says, pornography is essentially wrong. Not for all these other reasons, but primarily for its message because it rips sexuality out of the context of relationship. Woo, this is so good. And instead, it presents human beings as, not as creatures made in God's image, but as commodities. Whoa. You've heard people say, don't use me, get to know me. Maybe you haven't. You just did now, though. <laughs> Don't use me. Get to know me. Um, and, and it's important for us to understand that God created us as sexual beings, but not void from the context of relationship. So when a young man says, I want to cohabitate with you and hook up with you over and over again just to test this relationship out, they're lying to themselves. They're lying to the person that they think they love. And in reality, all they're doing is they're diminishing. They're diminishing everything that is meaningful. And the sad reality that they don't understand is they're less likely to make it because they're breaking God's standards. Their brain is getting rewired. There's all kinds of problems happening. And so all we need to do is start promoting the very things that God said. Do what I said and your life is going to be blessed. Start promoting purity. Start promoting the things that God speaks on. And if we have issues in immorality or violence or something, don't ignore it. I don't care how small it is. In fact, I was sitting here thinking, I was like, man, um, why, why aren't we better at fleeing and resisting? Because we're not promoting it as much. We, we almost have to feel like, no, it's okay. Just as long as you're not actively seeking it out, you know, just it's let bygones be bygones. Let them do them, you do you. No, I think we need to have a far more proactive approach to this. Flee it. I would love to see guys run out of rooms because things are immoral. I would love to see guys because of injustice done in a relationship or some other thing to leave the bar. And just walk out and never go back. I would love to see this, but we're not fleeing as much as we should. And then we have no resistance muscles. 
We have lost our ability to resist. But I'm telling you, you need to encourage one another to resist. And, and, and I, honestly, okay, as I even said that, I was, I, it was like the Holy Spirit just said, um, do it to me. <laughs> I tell you, my personality, I don't like conflict. Um, but I'm behind the pulpit a lot of times I speak and I'm very bombastic and I have like fire-breathing conviction. Um, <laughs> I just do. In my person, I'm like, ah, I don't want to tell them that that is dumb. I just, I, I want to wait until it's so obvious or the pain is so apparent that there's no remedy. And, and that's more my nature. So over time, I've had to become, I've had to be intentional more and more. And I'm getting better at it. And maybe before I die and go see Jesus, I'll actually grow up in this area. But I'll tell you, it's a work in progress. And so as I say we need to resist, I'll tell you one of the areas where I can improve is I can sit down with my good friends, close friends, and instead of keeping my mouth shut, I need to start opening it more and say, hey, I love you. Amen. You have to stop. Instead of saying to myself, well, I'm going to pray about it. Has anybody else ever done what I've done? Shame on me. I was going to say shame on you, but it's really shame on me. We need to open up our mouth and say, hey, I love you so much. I need to tell you, you need to resist. You need to stop. You need to run. You need to do like Joseph and get out of Potiphar's house right now. And you need to stop turning that TV on. Or you need to stop allowing that text message to come through. Or you need to, go I mean, you've got to do this. And if that comes across weird or mean, live with it. And uh, so, because at the end of why I'm so motivated about this is because I know that people are dying in my culture because they're not hearing the words of life. They're, they're so dull. They're in a coma from immorality and violence, and they're not hearing God's words. And I feel like we have to intervene. The self-destruction is so big. I read something about um, religion and society by Malcolm Muggeridge. He was this European... Um, guy, and I love his writing. If you ever get a book by Malcolm Muggeridge, you will be blessed. He is a wonderful thinker. But let me read out of this book on religion and society. And Malcolm Muggeridge said this. This was over 40 years ago that he wrote this. He said, here's the final conclusion about the UK, which applies to us today. He said, the final conclusion would surely be this, that whereas other civilizations have been brought down by attacks of barbarians from without... Ours had the unique distinction of training its own destroyers at its own educational institutions. And then we provided them with facilities for propagating their destructive ideology far and wide, all at the public expense. Thus, our Western man decided to abolish himself. He created his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own vulnerability out of his own sense of strength, his own impotence, out of his own erotomania, himself even blowing the trumpet that brought the walls of his own city tumbling down, and now having convinced himself that he was just too numerous, he began to labor with pill, scalpel, syringe to make himself fewer. Now at last, having educated himself into imbecility, and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction. He is keeled over, he is weary, he is battered, he is a brontosaurus and has become extinct. 
can't even tell you how many times I've read this. I feel he was prophetic about America. So my last point is this. It's time to wake up, church, and hear God's voice. It's time to wake up and hear God's voice. And I tell you, if you feel like this is going to be impossible with God, nothing is impossible. I'll tell you, God is a redeemer. He's a rescuer. We were helpless when he came to earth to redeem us. And we are still finding ourselves swimming in a mire of yuck, sea of sin and immorality. But God is still a savior. He is still a redeemer. There is nothing that can keep him. Like the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I'll tell you, God loves us so much. He will spare nothing to rescue. (laughs) He will spare nothing to rescue. He's going to spare nothing to rescue my future son-in-laws. I don't want my girls to marry perverts. And I don't want the future son-in-law to marry a girl who was raised in church and is now a pervert. And I don't want your girls to marry perverts or for them to be in a relationship that is poisoned already at the beginning. But you know what? I don't want us as parents to leave a legacy of ineffective Christianity where we failed to pass the baton. In those moments where I draw my last breath, I want to know that my kids and my grandkids and the generation to come have another example to join the Colosseum of testimony that says Jesus is the only way and when you live your life according to God's plans and purposes, you choose a life that is blessed. If you lie to yourself and and tolerate immorality and violence, what you are doing is you are... You're you're bringing about your own destruction. So stop and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And And I've got to just reference you to Ephesians 5. It says this, wake up, sleeper. Now's your time. Wake up. Don't let another minute go. This is your time to wake up and say, shake yourself out of the immorality and out of the sin and all that stuff and say, I want the light of Jesus to shine on me. I want the light of Jesus to shine on my family. We need to start hearing God's voice again, but we got to shake ourselves up. We're desensitized. And and so I I kind of heard this story years ago, and I felt like this was, again, this time of our existence where we need people like this man. About 400 AD, a man died. He died in the Colosseum in Rome in protest to the gladiatorial games that were going on. Um, he was a monk, and he was, he was committed to the aesthetic life, and he was really often by himself and just living a life isolated, alone with the Lord. It sounds you know, crazy in our terms. I mean, why would anybody do that? But that was what he did. His name was Telemachus. And he had a vision of what he was going to do and it was like God spoke to him he heard the voice of the Lord and the voice of the Lord said go to Rome he went to Rome he followed the crowd into the Colosseum and when he went into the Colosseum he was overwhelmed by the violence and the immorality the nudity the death the bloodlust of the Roman culture and despite many different times over multiple emperors who paused the games or tried to ban the games it was this incident that was accredited with stopping the games This old monk was shocked and appalled by what he saw. 
And instead of being a bystander that did nothing, he jumped into the Colosseum and he began to protest and he began to shout it all down and telling him to stop. And he got in the between two of the gladiators to which one of the gladiators gladly killed him. When he died, there's only a few reports of what actually happened. The Catholic Church has been the, the primary source for the mythological increase of his life. In fact, in January, we celebrate him in the Catholic Church, and it's St. Telemachus Day, and it's, it's, it's his day. And, um, but really, the true story is profound. He jumped in to stop the bloodletting and all of this and to protest, and in his death, the crowd went silent. They were shocked at what just happened. It was like the Holy Spirit used the moment to wake everyone up out of their And for a split second, everybody went. And they were in quiet, and they began to leave. The emperor, in response to this, who had a sensitive heart, he was beginning to see, this is not right, he banned it. And that was the end of the games. And I'm reminded of Pencel's or uh, the Pascal's Pensees. 6.99 says this. There's a there's a thing that he says that I, I want to pass on to you. He said, "When everything is moving in life all at once, it appears as if nothing is moving, just as if you're on board a ship. But when everyone is moving towards depravity, and it's a different issue because now it seems nobody is moving towards depravity." This is where we're living right now. People are okay with the situation because everything is moving towards depravity and they just don't see it. What is required? Pascal says this, but if someone like a Telemachus, if someone like a Telemachus stops, he shows up the others who are rushing on by acting as a fixed point. It's like I hear the Spirit of God saying, where do you stand? on immorality and violence? Where do you stand? Where do you stand on issues that are so common to talk about, like sex before marriage or violence on television or immorality on television? Or where do you stand on gay marriage or gay relationships? Where do you stand on all these issues? We think these are popular social topics. No, this is life and death spiritual stuff that matters for eternity. Where do you stand, O Telemachus, for today? And I read, before I came into church today, I read out of Revelations 18. And I'd like you to stand at this because I feel this is such a prophetic tone for our culture. I want you to hear Revelation 18, verses 1 through 5. Revelations 18, verses 1 through 5. It says, I saw another angel, a messenger, coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illumined with His glory. And He cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all of the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Verse 4, 
But I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out! Come out of her! My people, come out of that! So that you will not participate in those sins and receive those plagues. I just end it right there. I just say, in Jesus' name, Lord, wake us up from the things that have distorted our voice, from hearing your voice. We, we can't hear it because all of this stuff is so loud. Lord God, forgive us. We have become numb and desensitized. Many in this world are in a coma right now on the verge of just slipping into obscurity, not able to hear anymore the still small voice saying, come out, come out. Don't get involved in this stuff. Walk away from it. You can do it. You can turn. But Lord, right now, I pray for every young person to hear your voice. I pray for every dad who might be struggling secretly to hear your voice. And if there's a mom in this room that has been struggling with insecurities and problems from the violence and immorality, God, let them hear your voice. For every grandparent that cares about their family, Lord, let them hear your voice and intercede. And God, if there is any guts left in your church in America, let them not be the old brontosaurus extinct, but let them rise up and be the Telemachus in our day. God, let your church rise up and say no more. Lord, let there not be a famine of your voice in our nation. Let there be people from coast to coast that have turned the receiver on and focused in on this frequency. God, open our ears to hear your voice.